a great church this is, and with awesome history and an awesome future, and I just love seeing those stories and stuff of, of all the things that Evangel has done that God has used Evangel in. You guys, you want to throw up my first slide, that's what we're looking for, and, uh, and because I just love Easter Sunday. Anybody here else love Easter Sunday? I, it's my favorite Sunday. I love it because it's the thing that adds meaning to everything else. So I wake up Easter Sunday morning and I go, yeah, because I'm so pumped about the celebration that we're going to have at church talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And we already read the scripture this morning um, that, that we're, we're going to be speaking off of today. And it was in Luke chapter 24, verse eight. This is the verse that I want you to remember. Then they remembered that he had said this. And it was the story of the women who went to the tomb where Jesus was supposed to be buried and a stone was rolled away and there was no nobody there and then all of a sudden they remembered that he had said this was going to happen this is the verse that's the key verse today they remembered that he had said this you know some time ago maybe a couple years ago I had someone come to me and uh, they were a follower of Jesus and sometimes came to the church that I pastored and sometimes went to a different church and they came up to me and they said Patty I have a question for you I said okay and they, they kind of pulled me to the side and kind of lowered their voice to a whisper. So I thought it was going to be a real doozy of a question, right? And, and they, they leaned in and they said, Patty, I don't know quite how to ask you this. I, don't, I know that some people apparently don't anymore, but I still do. And I just, I just want to know, Patty, you still believe in the resurrection, right? Oh, you better believe I do. Anybody else here? Right? Believe in the resurrection. Because we get really caught up in this Sunday that we celebrate all of this, this weekend. And we talk about all the stories of Jesus here. But, you know, without the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, none of those stories matter. All the meaning gets lost. There's no meaning that's there. There's no salvation. There's no forgiveness for sins. There's no hope of eternal life without the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so you better believe that I believe in the resurrection. Because this is the part of the story that matters. This is the part of the story that reframes everything. Jesus' death and resurrection give meaning to the rest of Jesus' story. It reframes everything. Say that with me. It reframes everything. Because until that moment, everything that Jesus did in his ministry, every single thing that he did was was opposite to what people thought God was like. Okay, And so Jesus' entire ministry, his entire time when he was uh, showing people God, his entire ministry, he was doing it wrong. Now, before you get all offended and go, I can't believe she said that in church, just picture the air quotes, okay? Jesus, through his whole ministry, was doing it with me, doing it wrong wrong. He did everything wrong. Everything that he did. He, he, he did things like talk to women, which was so taboo in the culture that he was in and in the time that he was in. It was unnecessary and it provoked suspicion and it was inappropriate. It was just, it was bad for his reputation. It was wrong. And, and he touched people who had leprosy, this skin condition that was kind of icky and stuff. And, and they were supposed to be unclean and nobody ever went near them. And, and they smelled bad and they looked bad and all of those things. And Jesus touched them. He would, he would make physical contact with them. It was just so wrong. And then he, he hung out with sinners. You know, you got to say like that, Sinners. He hung out with sinners, scandalous people, you know, horrible people, people that no self-respecting follower of God would hang out with, and Jesus did. It was wrong. 
It was just completely wrong. And, and his right-hand guys, I mean, you look at, we call them saints now, or we call them disciples of Christ, like they're just these wonderful people. They had no education. They had no experience. Any chance they got to get it wrong, they got it wrong. They, they, they were just, they were ridiculous. And there was no way that Jesus could, could succeed or do well with them as his posse. And so everything he did, he was doing it wrong. And the religious leaders said he was doing it wrong. They knew he was wrong. That's not how God acts. That's not what God looks like. They said God doesn't act like that. God is holy. He's not friendly. God judges and exposes sin. He doesn't forgive it. And and they said, the religious leaders said that God is really difficult to please. There's so many rules and you have to follow all these exact rules right to the thing. And and God is exclusive. He's just just waiting and watching for an opportunity where where you can step over the line and you can do it wrong and bam, you're out. That's the kind of God that the religious leaders were talking about. So Jesus was everything that God was not. Jesus wasn't anything like God. So clearly, he was wrong. He's doing it wrong. Everything that he was doing was wrong. That's why they crucified him. He was causing problems. He was telling people about God, and it wasn't the God that they knew about. And so he was telling them all about that and leading them astray, and they were like, this is causing problems. And so they crucified him, and when he was dead, well, that was that. It was finished. Except it wasn't. Because three days later, it turns out, He was alive again. And that changes everything. That means he really was God because, hello, only God can rise from the dead. It means he was God, and that means that he was right. So every time they said he was doing it wrong, he was actually doing it right. Because the resurrection proves that Jesus was right. So I like that line up there, verse 8, that they remembered that he had said this after these women went to the tomb and they can't find his body and an angel says he's alive. And all of a sudden they start remembering, wait a minute, he had said this was going to happen. And they started going back through the stories and their memories and it started to get reframed because let's face it, there ain't nothing like a resurrection to reframe the story. For example... Remember that woman that that was caught in adultery and she was dragged in front of Jesus and thrown down in front of the crowd? I mean, he just handled that totally wrong. The story says in John chapter 8, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never, ever sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go 
and sin no more. I mean, the whole story is just so awful, right? It's so awkward, so ugh. This woman, it says, was caught in adultery. Caught, i.e. caught in the act of adultery. Probably wasn't even allowed to get dressed properly before they drag her through the streets, you know, to prove the holiness of God. Drag her through the streets, throw her down in front of the crowd. It's just, it's just a lovely scene. And, and, she's, and this is all happening. And never mind where the man is, because I don't want to point out the obvious here, but you understand you can't commit adultery all by yourself. So I don't know where the guy was, but anyway, they've hauled her in front of Jesus so that they can judge her and they can say everything that's wrong with her because she's the evil one. She's the sinner. She's the one that caused others to sin. This is why, Jesus, you shouldn't talk to women in public because they're bad news. And, and there she is. She's humiliated and she's shamed and she's trapped and she's degraded and she's defiled and she's caught. What would God say? Everybody knew what God would say. God would say, stone her. That's what God would say. God has no room for that kind of behavior. It doesn't matter if she was sorry. It doesn't matter if she's set up. It doesn't matter if she got used. It doesn't matter any of those things. Sin is sin. God is holy. God hates sin. And so Jesus, he just handled it completely wrong. I mean, could you imagine if God handled it that way? Could you imagine if God was like that and if he said things like that, if he, if he said to people, go ahead and judge as long as you've never sinned yourself. Could you imagine if God looked at somebody that had sinned that bad and messed up that bad and said, well, I'm not accusing you and I'm not condemning you. Just go and, and don't do it again. I mean, obviously God didn't say things like that. Everybody knew that. Only Jesus said things like that. And he was wrong. And he was dead. Except, well, he wasn't dead, actually, three days later. He was alive. And the resurrection proved that he was right in how he treated her. In fact, it proved that he treated her exactly the way God would because Jesus was God. And so I'm guessing that those women at the tomb, at the empty tomb, remembered that all of a sudden and remembered that Jesus had said he would rise from the dead. And, there's, and they just went, oh, that's going to happen. That is how God works because... Ain't nothing like a resurrection to reframe the story. And then, remember Zacchaeus? He's this guy, Luke chapter 19. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. And he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I totally can identify. He needed my shoes, really. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people, the religious people, were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, can I just point out that if it was a given, 
if I, he totally had cheated people on their taxes, okay? If I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has, cho- has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. I mean, obviously, Jesus handled this one wrong. The dude was a tax collector. I mean, Revenue Canada is bad enough. This guy was worse. This guy was bad news. He got to make up the rules as he went along. So in the Roman Empire, he's a Jewish guy, but he's in the Roman Empire. And so instead of siding with, you know, the Jewish people, he sides with the Romans. And he works for them. And the Romans said, look, you just have to collect from people what the taxes are that are due to us. And whatever you need to do to do that, you just go ahead. And if you want to collect a little extra for yourself, you just go right ahead. And so so Zacchaeus was this guy who profited off people. He exploited them. He cheated them. He did whatever he had to do to get as much money as he could out of them. He was maybe, I was trying to figure out what a modern day version might be. And it may be a little bit like a modern day slum landlord. You know, someone who's just in it for the money. They don't care about the people. Greedy, cheater, all about, all about just how much you can get. Worked for the bad guys. He worked for the Romans and sided with them against his own people. And he was a traitor. You couldn't, you couldn't trust him as far as you could throw him. And he was short. (laughs) Bugged people. He was this hated little man. And we can't imagine what possessed such a nasty little man to climb a tree so that he could see Jesus. But we all know what God would have said. I mean, God would have called him out. God would have exposed him for the liar and the cheat that he was. God would have demanded that he, that he repay everything and then some. God would have taken him to task for cheating people and for not paying his tithes, by the way. And God, half of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, was written about a guy like Zacchaeus, a guy who cares more about money than about anything else. In the book of Proverbs, God constantly warns people, stay away from somebody like that. They're bad news. They value money over any, everything else. God wouldn't want anything to do with him. He definitely wouldn't go and hang out with him. He would warn everyone else to stay away from him. So Jesus definitely handled that one wrong. I mean, hello. Uh, hey, Zach, up there in the tree. Come on down. I'm coming over to your house today. Let's hang out. It totally ignored the guy's terrible reputation. Totally ignored the scandal attached to the guy's name. And and then, as soon as Zacchaeus shows the first sign of wanting to change, Lord, I'm going to change my life. Uh, Jesus just goes, he just goes, oh, great, you're saved. That's it. There's no probation period. He doesn't make him go through any classes. He doesn't say, well, let's wait and see, and we'll see if you really mean it. No, he goes, awesome. Salvation has come to this home today. God would never do that. Could you imagine if God did something like that? It would be chaos. You just can't have, could you imagine if God cared about somebody like that, somebody that bad, that he went and found him in a tree and said, I'm going to go hang out at your house? Can you imagine if God just smiled at the first time somebody really awful said, I'm going to change, and God smiled and welcomed that? God wouldn't do that. There were sacrifices to be made. You had to prove yourself. You can't just go welcoming somebody in. 
Jesus was the only one who would do that. He's the only one that would accept somebody like that and welcome them in and make them belong. And and Jesus was wrong. And he was dead. Except he wasn't. He was alive. And the resurrection proved that he was exactly right in the way that he treated Zacchaeus. The resurrection proved that he treated Zacchaeus exactly the same way that God would treat him because it proved that Jesus was God. So the way he was acting was the way that God would act, and apparently God is happy to connect with scoundrels. And apparently when they vow to change, he doesn't look at them suspiciously. He cheers and goes, yeah, how great is that? I'm guessing that those women at the empty tomb, when, that, when they saw that the body wasn't there and the angel said he's risen, I'm guessing that when he, they remembered he had said this, that they remembered that story too because there ain't nothing like a resurrection to reframe the story. And then, of course, there was that guy with leprosy, and, and they, still, ugh, they still shudder a little bit when they remember that story. It said in Matthew chapter 8, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared as just so wrong. I mean, never mind in this case what it is that Jesus said. That doesn't even matter. The fact that he reached out and he, he touched him. Ugh, that was wrong. You don't touch people with leprosy, this skin condition. They're gross. You don't do that. You might catch something. It's not safe. God would never touch someone like that. God had set up all kinds of procedures and rules to follow, and none of them involved touching. Can you even imagine how this man felt living his life? When when you had leprosy, you had to live on the fringe of society. Nobody came near you. Nobody was allowed to touch you. You were contagious. You were unclean. Nobody could come near you, so nobody acknowledged him. People would back away if they got too close. That's probably the only reason that he could get near Jesus at all. He probably started plowing towards the crowd, and they all went, whoa, and backed up. And he probably had the wide path to get to Jesus, and that was the only reason that he got there because nobody ever um, connected with someone who had leprosy. There's no eye contact no, no touch, no connection at all. They were unclean. They were unsafe. They made you feel uncomfortable, like sometimes people do in our world today. Maybe some of the ones that live on the street or seem a little bit off or whatever. Same kind of thing. And the disciples, they, they cringed when Jesus touched him. Oh, oh, Jesus, don't do that. Ugh, God, God wouldn't do that. But God did. God did. He touched him. He looked him in the eye, spoke to him like he was a real human being, healed him, and gave him his life back. No one ever thought that God would do that. But Jesus did. And they were so sure he had been wrong, but, well, there's nothing like a resurrection to reframe the story. 
See, the resurrection proved that everything that Jesus had said and done that everybody thought was wrong and the religious leaders were wrong, the resurrection proved that everything he had said and done was right because it proved that Jesus was God. It was God. It's how God feels about people. That's how God treats people with compassion and with love and with help and with joy and laughter and grace and and wanting to hang out with them. Broken people, awful people, people that everyone else hates, people that no one else wants to be there, people that are on the fringes of society, people who hide in the crowd. And people who the rest of the crowd stares at. People who aren't good enough. People who aren't religious enough. People who aren't holy enough. It turns out that Jesus, who was God, would do anything for people. He would do anything, even die, to welcome them in. Anything to include them. Anything to give them a fresh start. And the resurrection proved he was exactly right to do it. Can you imagine all those people in one place gathered together whose lives Jesus had changed? I mean, think about it. There's the woman, you know, with that sexual past that everybody knew about and everybody judged her for and she, she had changed and all that. And she's sitting, you know, she's right about there. And then, and then there's that guy that everybody hated because he was awful and he was mean and he, was, he just profited off of people. And then Jesus changed his life and he's over there. And then there's that person who was on the fringe of society and didn't know where they could fit in and people just stayed away and didn't want to be near them and he's right there. And can you imagine all of these people gathered together in one place, people who weren't educated properly or people who were broken or people who who were isolated or people who had secrets nobody else knew about and they were terrified somebody would find out and they're there and there and there. And there. I mean, can you just imagine them all in one place? And the only thing they have in common is Jesus. I can. I can imagine it. It's right here. It's this space. It's we're here only because it turns out that Jesus was doing exactly what God would do. We're here because Jesus was exactly right. And what was wrong was all the condemnation and all the the disapproval and all the exclusiveness and all the stuff that said, you're not good enough. That's what was wrong. But what was right was Jesus. Jesus was right to show unending mercy and unconditional grace and extravagant love to every person he came across. Jesus was right to include as many people as possible and the resurrection proved it. You better believe, I believe in the resurrection. And now, and now, it's the church's job to do the same. It's our job to turn around and to show mercy to people that clearly are wrong. 
It's our job to go out there and get near people that nobody else wants to get near and say, you belong, come on in, you're welcome, you can be part of things. It's our job to include as many people as possible and give them a fresh start because we're followers of Jesus and that's what he did for us and so that's what we do for somebody else. And I know, I know that church is weird. I know. I know that some of you are here today and it's maybe the first time you've ever been in a church or maybe you come just once a year on Easter because it's tradition and it's the thing to do. But the rest of the time you're like, yeah, I'm not really. And you're sitting here going, church is a little bit, it's a little bit weird. Can I just tell you? I know. I know. And that's why I just want you to know over the next three Sundays in this service on Sunday morning, we're going to take some time and do a series called Church is Weird. And we're going to try to explain some of the weirdnesses because, you know, all of it has meaning, almost all of it. Most of it has meaning in everything that we do. But if you don't know the meaning and you're an outsider, then it seems a bit weird and you don't really know what to do with it. And so if you're a person that never comes to church or you never have before or you only come on Easter, can I just say to you, why don't you come back next Sunday when it's not Easter and let us unpack some of this stuff for you so that you can figure out some of the weirdnesses that are part of church. Because the bottom line... The core of the whole thing, the heart of the whole thing is that the church is just a group of people, just regular people, misfits, broken, you know, all of us with our own story. And the only thing that we have in common is that Jesus found us and Jesus welcomed us. That's who we are. And and then we just turn around and we try to do the same for the next ones welcome somebody else in and bring them in and and let them belong because that's what we do. Because that's what Jesus did. That's, That's what Jesus did. And we're followers of him. And he was right. And the resurrection proves it. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads at this moment. I want to take a little bit of time to pray. And it just helps to give, um, I'd like to create a moment in a service where you could just process on your own sort of privately what, where you're at and what's been happening. And we're only going to be a few more minutes and then we're going to dismiss. So I'm asking if each of you would just bow your head. It sort of gives privacy in a public space um, for each person that's here. And some of you are here today and you're going, wow, I, I'm here in church. This is not really what I expected it was going to be like. And uh, I, I thought I had some expectations of how things were going to be. And I thought I knew what this was all about. And it's actually different than what I thought it was going to be, and I'm a little bit intrigued. And you might be thinking to yourself, I I might come back. I want to invite you, if that's who you are, I want to invite you, you can just whisper a prayer under your breath this morning. Something, you can just talk to God in any language, but you could whisper something like, like this, something that says, Jesus, just go ahead and whisper it if you want to. Jesus, if this is who you are, if if this is how God is, welcoming and compassionate and kind and forgiving, I'm interested and I want to know more. And I want to connect with you a little bit more. And, and Jesus, if this is who you are, then I might come back next week. You can whisper that in a prayer. I might come back next week. And then what's going to happen in the next few minutes is our worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. 
And while they do, there's going to be a ministry team that's going to come up here to the front, and some of them are going to be at different spots through the aisle. They're just prayer people. And if you want them to pray for you, they would be happy to. If you want to talk with them, they would be happy to do that. So you could come up during the song or after the song or whatever. They'll hang around for a few minutes. But what's going to happen is our worship team is going to lead us in prayer or lead us in worship. And then we'll come back together. We'll do a closing prayer. We'll dismiss. I'm going to ask if you would stand at this moment. Our worship team, let's celebrate once more.